I was going to just start talking about it because emotional intimacy is like witnessing the internal experience of another individual and allowing it to be expressed as their truth. So we have this, we have this um, misconception or just, I don't know. I, I remember being like this, you know, like, oh, what I believe in my head, other people also see that too. And it's like so wrong <laughs> because each individual, just as you said, you grew up with a, a, an, a relationship with dogs that was like traumatizing. So the way that you view dogs now is very different than I view dogs because of our past circumstances. So like when you are interested in understanding the emotional intimacy of another individual, it's recognizing that the way you see the world is different than the way I see the world. But how can I work to understand what you're going through based on what you perceive your experience to be? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask the Therapist. Today I'm joined by Kat, who is intimacy therapist as well as intuitive healer and nervous system specialist and today's topic we're going to be talking about emotional intimacy so I'm really excited about this <laughs> and Kat how are you? I'm so great thank you how are you doing? Good good nice to have you here and can you just tell us a little bit about yourself please? Yes. So I'm a therapist and I specialize in intimacy and nervous system regulation which are a not so common pair, but I am super, super nerd about the the nervous system. So I'm excited to share some of the things that I am working on and the things I do with clients with you. Mm, amazing. Great, great. Before we get going, we're going to play a quick game called One for One. And I'll give you a word and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. The first one is trampoline. Jumping. Snow. Flake. Costumes. Halloween. Nurse. Doctor. Tiger. Lion. That's it? Great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you used to be a nurse? No. Uh, no? Did you work in hospital? No? I did for five years. Okay. Yes, and I've been, man, I've been in the hospital since... I was like 16. I used to volunteer there. And then I did an internship there in undergrad. And then I had to do a bunch of clinical rotations in grad school. And then I worked for five years as a, prof- uh, you know, as a clinician for five years. Hmm. And I was like, man, this is not really how healing <laughs> should happen. I got to get out of here. Yeah. Because once you see that side of it, you're like, okay, I have to question certain things. It, and it was just, it was honestly, it was like a vibe. You know, mm. you walk into the hospital and, and you're like, it doesn't feel like this is a place for healing. It feels like this is a place where a lot of people have anxiety and are depressed and sad because of their experience and rushed mm. and isolated because lots of times they can't leave their room. So it was like, this doesn't feel like, they also, also don't go outside for long periods of time. It's mm. crazy. And did you find yourself just kind of getting drawn down? Like if you're going yeah. in like real happy and then two hours in, you're like, oh, I'm tired now. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I mean, the basic things that you need for health, like movement, being outside, water, good food, those like, you know, basic things. Oh, also connection with others Mm. um, are not prioritized in the hospital for various reasons, like in the acute side. So I don't know how healthcare kind of works there, but we have like an acute hospital. So that's where people go for immediate illness. Mm. It's the same. Um, and so depending on their situation, they become, they get isolated because they don't want things to spread or lots of times there's critical patients, but then they kind of move into this inpatient rehab side where lots of them are promoted to move more or, Mm. you know, like do more exercises, but they're still heavily isolated into your, your room. You spend the majority of the day in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll do like therapy in the gym or group therapy, but they don't involve, hey, let's talk about your experience. (laughs) Yeah. You're just kind of doing X, Y, and Z. There's no. Yeah. And like your podcast, don't be afraid to talk. These people are terrified of what happened to them. They just had a stroke or a spinal cord injury or a heart surgery, or they had COVID and they're recovering, um, like they have chronic fatigue. Mm. Lots of people had fallen and broken their hips. A lot of fear, a lot of new um, circumstances in life that literally turn people's life up, upside down and they're terrified. Mm. And one of the most surprising conversations I had with a patient was I was like, okay, let's sit down. How are you doing mentally and emotionally? Mm. Just start crying. They're like, in 14 days that I've been here, no one has asked me that. Mm, mm. Some people just need that, don't they? Just Everybody does. Yeah, yeah, like a connection. And mm-hmm. when you're in an environment where you're just a patient, for example, someone has to go out of their way to ask you, like, how are you today? You know, to actually get to mm-hmm. see, like, who's the person behind whatever condition it is. Yeah. And on the other side of that too, hospital staff are extremely overworked. Oh yeah. 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 We got, we have <laughs> not as, not as many no. staff members as they need. Um, therapists are, you know, have a full caseload. They're seeing eight people a day. Mm. Nurses are seeing t- 12 to 16. I'm sure CNAs more, you know, like it's just, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So like compassion fatigue is a real thing. Having time to speak to someone just might not be on top of the list. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, when you saw, yeah, even here, like the nurses are definitely overworked. It's like a global thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I agree. yeah. Okay, brilliant. Now let's start talking about intimacy. So, my first question is what is emotional intimacy? Well, that's a good segue from what we were just talking about. (laughs) I know. Yeah, we kind of got from. I was going to just start talking about it because emotional (laughs) intimacy is like witnessing the internal experience of another individual and allowing it to be expressed as their truth. Mm. So we have this we have this um, misconception or just I don't know. I I remember being like this, you know, like, oh, what I believe in my head, other people also see that, too. It's like so wrong mm. <laughs> because each individual, just as you said, you grew up with a, a, an, a relationship with dogs that was like traumatizing. So the way that you view dogs now is very different than I view dogs because of our past circumstances. So like when you are interested in understanding the emotional intimacy of another individual it's recognizing that the way you see the world is different than the way i see the world but how can i work to understand what you're going through based on what you perceive your experience to be Mm. and do you think with that we just assume that your partner would know what you'd know i mean that that whole phrase about like when you assume you make an ass of you and me, oh, a hundred percent. You, you're. If you don't, there's. It's so tricky because if you don't understand your own emotional experience, because not many people spend time 
trying to understand their emotions, but rather they mask them with addictions or distractions or something to put in front of having to sit with pain Mm. because emotional pain is processed the same as physical pain in your brain. We avoid pain. Yeah. Yeah. We avoid emotional pain. We avoid physical pain because it's processed in the same area of your brain and your brain sees them as the same thing. So it actually physically hurts you to recall an experience that's emotional. Mm. And then the, 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 oh, this is like a hard truth for me to teach, but also like accept is that emotions are relentless. They are, they come, they happen all the time. You could think about the experience you had with your, the dog when you were little and your brain doesn't know if it's happening now or if it happened Mm. then. So there you have like so many people are having these internal battles about past experiences that you as the observer have no idea that they're going through. So you have all these people who are battling these demons in themselves and no one else knows anything about it. Mm, mm. So in terms of emotions, they essentially don't have a time if you don't process them. They oh, they do what? As in like they don't have time as in if you don't deal with it like when you're five if you're 40 your brain still thinks it's happening now well that that's that's just how our brains work like any event if you could recall any emotional event that you've had because our our brain doesn't really remember like oh what did you have for breakfast unless you while you were eating breakfast something crazy happened that evoked an emotion that now you remember <laughs> so it's these um, mm. emotions are like time stamped and they're like, hey, this was significant. Remember this, because in the future, this is this comes all back to the nervous system, which we will cover. But um, in in the future, if you're dealing with a dog, you have already had past experiences that have been negative. So what your nervous system then does is it says dogs are danger. And then when you grow up and you have an experience with a dog, your nervous system says, hey, we had an experience with this dog this one time. Remember it because it's a threat to your safety. So without the knowledge of the nervous system, these events just kind of like compound on each other and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and meaner and more Mm. emotional because we don't have the education to understand what's happening in our nervous systems, how actually trauma, traumatic experiences should be processed um, not should be, but like a process that happens and it, it, that confusion creates more internal conflict. Mm. And do you think for couples to build intimacy, the difficult is they don't know themselves enough? Yes. Okay. Because relationships um, are, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I huge, a huge encourager because it's, it's the biggest growth process that you can have, like a relationship, building a business and having spiritual journeys are three ways that you can progress not only your like physical body, but your mental, emotional, spiritual, transcendent parts of you that you can't really access by yourself. You can access in the container of a relationship and with the right skills and understanding, you can really help to evolve each person within that dynamic. It's a beautiful dance of of evolution, but both people have to know what that even means. Mm. Yeah, I was listening to therapists before who said it takes a couple of about ten years to build any sort of intimacy. <laughs> like it could take about it could take about ten years. Hmm. Interesting. Because when once you get married, you think because you both bring in certain beliefs and for two years to actually meet in a place where everything is good it could take about 10 years (laughs) i think that's a i think i don't like to add numbers because Mm. it validates maybe what your belief already was before they said that and then all of a sudden you're like okay well i don't that's gonna be it's gonna be a long time relationship (laughs) where 10 years later we'll be like oh ding 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 we made it I think the more that you understand yourself and the more that you are, show up as an authentic version of you mm. and you you know, like, I'm going to take responsibility for how I'm showing up and this person is too, it's a mutual commitment to growth and building intimacy that I don't believe needs to take that long. Mm. Mm. 
Okay, I'll move on to my next question because so mm-hmm. <laughs> I can ask yeah. another one on top of that. And uh, my next one is how is dysregulated nervous system play into this? Okay, so just to give you a little bit of background and the listeners a background, your nervous system is your internal alarm system, and it's made up of nerves, which are about 40 miles combined within your body. So you have 40 miles of these electrical highways that take information from the external environment through your senses. So like taste, touch, smell, feel, hear, those are all pulling in information. It's traveling through your nerves, up your spinal cord to your brain for processing. And so we have this great example now of your dog. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not traumatizing you with the dog situation, but your nervous system takes in information from that experience. And it's like danger, danger, danger. And it stores that in your nervous system. And the dysregulated nervous system is when you have lots of periods. Let's say maybe you had a bunch of dogs, but instead of being dogs, they are people in the environment, a boss, a coworker, a stranger, and they're all like providing this feedback to you that's negative. Mm. And so your nervous system is like both trying to fight the threat while also not doing it in a way that's not societally appropriate. You can't fight people. (laughs) (laughs) We generally can't run away from them either in the workplace. Mm. So what we're actually doing is we're kind of like traumatizing ourselves in these boxes that we've created in society because you're not able to express your emotions in a way that your animal self probably would. Instead, you have to be polite. You have to be appropriate. You have to be these things that are going against your biological nature. So your nervous system is trying to say, we feel danger. This person is bad. This person is negative. This person doesn't make me feel good, but I have to sit here and eat it and suppress it. And then we put ourselves Mm. into these states of overwhelm because your nervous system is like, I want to go, but this is telling me no. And then you never really make it back down to baseline or homeostasis or that parasympathetic state, which is your rest and digest state. So we have a lot of very Mm. hypersensitive, hypervigilant humans running around who over time, (laughs) yeah, over time, when that activation happens and enough dysregulation happens, then you have an emotional outburst or an emotionally explosive event like we see in these very tragic things that happen globally. And maybe it's because this person never learned how to regulate themselves. And they're just like having this internal battle that turns into a ticking time bomb. And when that's happening, we just say for existence, if it's happening in work, where you're constantly like coming and going, coming and going. Now, when you go home to your partner, obviously that's still happening. Mm-hmm. Is that still happening? So is it a case where we don't know what to do with it? So we bring it home and then it, Obviously, it becomes a problem at home all the time. I mean, we're always projecting. Projecting is like whatever we're experiencing internally, we start to mirror it onto other people. We start to see it reflected in their behavior. So we're always doing this thing where it's your fault. Yes. It's not me. It's them. They're the worst. And unfortunately, in the home environment, because this person becomes the target of your rage, anger, sadness, you see them so often that your nervous system starts to associate them with a sympathetic nervous system state. So that fight or flight state, and then you just hate their face, <laughs> right? You're like projecting all the shit that happened. Yeah, like, I, I can't even look at you right now. <laughs> yeah. And you're projecting that state onto your partner and it's subcon. it's happening underneath your conscious awareness. Mm. And this is where like, I'm so passionate about the work that I do because I believe everything starts at home. So if people were, if people were more peaceful at home and they started off their day at peace, Mm. then it doesn't really matter what happens in the external world because they can anchor into states of peace because Mm. that's what their main environment is. Mm. So peace at home is where it all starts. Mm. And if you're not familiar with it, obviously, if you're bringing 
your say work troubles home constantly mm-hmm. it, it's hard to kind of have any any way of building any intimacy in a relationship when you when one partner or both of you are constantly stuck on this state of fight or flight yeah well and when you're in the state of fight or flight based on your biology you do not prioritize connection yeah it's it's higher up on the list of the maslow's hierarchy of needs like true connection um is much higher than safety and security obviously Mm. because if we were just like yeah let's go home and be intimate but i don't feel safe you're at risk of death or not surviving so the animal part of you will always prioritize keeping yourself safe instead of connecting with your the person that would probably help you to be able to regulate yourself mm. if they had the tools yeah <laughs> or understanding <laughs> yeah definitely yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely okay can I move on to my next question yes what are some of the reasons i may fear intimacy um this happens for a lot of reasons but in the first seven years of life you access what's called theta brainwave state more so during that time than at any other time in your life. Um, In theta brainwave state, basically you're just downloading what's happening in your immediate environment. So not just from your parents, but at seven, you start going to school or you're around family and friends, you start watching TV. So all of these early influences create this mold Mm. of how you see love and stress and coping with stress are my two that I really talk about with clients. Like you were modeled how to love from the way that you saw your parents love each other and love themselves and love you. So whatever you took from those instances is put into a mold or a program that you download into your little computer mind. And it starts to influence Mm. how you show up in relationships. So if you had a tumultuous experience when your parents didn't handle stress well and they took it out on each other, you might download that as, oh, fighting equals love. Mm. Or maybe you were really nervous to express yourself to your parents, knowing that if you said something they didn't like, you would get punished. So you don't express Mm. yourself. And so that looks like anxiety when expressing yourself in a romantic relationship because there's this There's this thing that you decide at that age that if I am open and honest, I will not be chosen. I will not be loved and accepted. So that's all happening at the the level of your nervous system. And when you start to feel those body sensations of, I remember this feeling. It's like, makes me want to constrict because I remember this from my childhood and I'm feeling this with my partner. Your body will start to give your mind information on how to act and it might look like you shut down. Yeah. And then if you don't know what's happening and you shut down and your partner's like, he is doesn't even want anything to do with me. He never wants to talk to me. And meanwhile, you're like, because I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's this, Wait till I tell you. <laughs> it's just this weird game, right? Mm. And, and do you think part of that is like, obviously, with your partner, you want like that, you want to tell them things but you're afraid of their reaction. So you just kind of keep following it. Yep. And so that starts with how you were, how you were received Mm. when you were younger, but also, gosh, there's so many complex factors here, but I love it (laughs) because I love puzzles. When you attract someone, typically you attract a dynamic that you can acknowledge or you witness as something you experienced in the past. So they might be reflecting the qualities that you recognize as something comfortable based on how your parents acted towards you. So lots of times people attract the dynamic of their parents, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable because it's like, I'm dating my mom or I'm dating my dad. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not really dating your mom or your dad, but you're attracted to the quality that they, you associate with being comfortable. So when you're doing that, and then they, you maybe you have your first fight and you're like, oh, great. Yeah. They're responding in the same way that I felt, that I felt physically when I was younger. And now I'm going to remember this because I already have this past memory of feeling this way and it feels worse right now. 
So in the future, when we have this experience, I'm going to be more reserved because I don't want that outcome. Mm. So this is where people start to experience significant disconnection because there's this piece of not understanding the nervous system, not understanding how we as humans are very actually not intelligent animals. Like we should be, we should be um, remembering and practicing a lot of the same things that animals and kids yeah. still do. Right. Like when they feel a certain way. Yeah. They're they express it. <laughs> yeah. When they need to regulate themselves, they're going to roll around on the floor, bark, scream. Humans, adult humans are like, oh, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> kind of afraid to scream it's like bad. in case you upset people. Yep. Mm. Yes. Afraid to scream. Like we don't really have solid, healthy, um, physical outlets for adult tantrums. You, you know, you, you become obsessed with what people think. But I mean, there are definitely ways that you can move energy through exercising, walking, breath work, dancing, talking to someone about how you're feeling. Mm. And when you're doing that, you're expressing energy, which leaves your body and allows you to see more clearly what's actually happening versus what you are being triggered by. Mm. Yeah. Just another, sorry, <laughs> another question on what you're talking about. When it comes to attraction, then. Mm -hmm. When two people meet, for example, at a bar and you see someone, you get very excited because they are unconsciously triggering part of you that's familiar. Mm -hmm. So do you think we, we are confusing danger with excitement when that happens? Danger with excitement. I think those are, those are two of the same sort of sides of the, they're like, Danger, excitement, and novelty are all under the umbrella of the unknown. Mm. So when I attract someone that's familiar to me, who's, say, bad, we just said, bad parenting, I'm attracting another bad person. But because I am attracted to them, I'm perceiving them as being a nice person. Well, Does that make sense? So... Let's go back because I don't ever want to say anything's bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because having something that's bad validates that you're bad in yeah. some way, right? Mm. Nothing's bad. Everything is information. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're at a bar and you see somebody across the bar and they're just hot, it's just like, that is a, that's a natural, that's not you attracting your mom or your dad. It's you being attracted to someone. And then maybe you start talking to them. And there will be nuances or things that they say that are like, oh, that reminds me subconsciously of something. Or the more you get to know them, you start to realize that you're attracting this person because it's it's reflecting something that you personally need to see to heal from. So this person that's quote unquote bad is not bad because they're showing you in a person mm. maybe something that you haven't seen yet in yourself. And so this is like a huge lesson because then you can be so grateful for every person that you meet. Yeah. Every person that steps into your bubble is here to show you something about yourself to grow from. Mm. It's going to be better than any of those books that you have not read. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> yeah. Just find people that trigger me. <laughs> well, no, any person, yeah. like any person that makes you happy, any person you talk to on the, on the street at work, like if they're physically coming into your energy bubble, they are here to show you something about yourself. Mm, it's a great way to look at people. Mm -hmm. mm. It's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for being in my awareness. Like, when yeah. when would we have met? Right? Like, <laughs> this is, we yeah. are in my awareness. We get to have this conversation, and I'm learning from you just as much as you're learning from me. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a wonderful approach. When you're seeing people, instead of just like, oh no, they're bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. And yes, my next question is, why is love not enough when it comes to intimacy? Because I think we think that, oh, I love you, so we should be fine. But Well, again, what, like, your version of love, based on what you've experienced in your life, is extremely different than what mine is. Mm. So 
why is not why is love not enough? Well, because what does love look like to you personally? And if you've never spent time answering that question, I highly encourage you and everyone listening to like if I was to describe what my version of love would look like, how would I describe that to an alien? If an alien came to earth and was like, what the heck is this thing you say love is? How do you know if you found it? Mm. And like that baffles people so much because they're like, oh, I don't know. I have this expectation for what love should be. I romanticize it often in my mind, but a really cool analogy I give to people is like, well, if I was to say, I am going to plan a vacation for James and I don't know anything about him. I'm going to plan a vacation. I'm going to be like, he wants to go to, I'm just going to give you a wild example, (laughs) the North Pole because he loves penguins. He's going to have a little igloo. It's going to have the cutest fire and he's going to have food. And you're like, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go there. That's not my ideal vacation at all, right? Mm. So your expectation of a destination that you want me to be able to fit is like that situation. Like if you don't give me any context of what love looks like to you or what it feels like or how I would show up in a partnership that is mutually like you're, you both love each other, how in the heck am I going to meet that need? Or that desire. Mm, this way, a lot of talks coming in comes in. <laughs> yeah, a lot of talk, a lot of dialogue. This is where the work is at, and this is where personal responsibility is the biggest key here, because you're personally responsible for the way that you feel, and that's it. Mm, mm, I like that. It, if I don't know what it looks like to me, but I expect you to know because we're together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that puts a lot of, that puts a lot of, it's not, it's not fair to put that on your partner. It's also very, it's very confusing for you. And you will, unless you say definitively, I'm looking for this specific thing. And you just say, love, I have this goal tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to find my love at a bar. Great. You're going to get a lot of information and the information looks like the wrong person you know, a conversation that leads you to saying, this is not my person, this particular one, but I can be so grateful that they showed me what I don't want Mm. because it allows me to point my direction in what I do want. So this is goes back to where everyone is showing you something that you can then take a little piece of them and say, I loved this about this person. Mm. Loved it. I'm going to put it in my love bucket. Because this is what this is what love feels like, looks like, for me. Yeah, a lot of self understanding of what you actually want, instead of thinking mm-hmm. you're gonna give it to me. <laughs> yep. And do you find that? I think it's one of my questions. Do you think a lot of people struggle with that one because they, you have the mindset that this person should know and should be able to fix not fixed, but should be able to make me feel a certain way, but it don't. Yes. Well, and, and then my question back to you is like, well, when did we decide that? We never did decide when that. When did we decide <laughs> that others knew or, yeah, right. Um, so when you're, when you're little and you're seven and then you start to realize that you have um, more autonomy. So you want to do things yourself. This is when kids are like, yeah. oh, they're so difficult because they are just like, so they're learning their independence. It's just like a really cool milestone, but the rest of their life, they have to, they get beaten into like this mold of mm. you actually don't know. Somebody else knows better than you, your parents, t- school, School is like a little factory where they put you in this box and like, hey, so you in follow perfectly. this curriculum yeah. and this schedule and this behavior. So you're relying on your teacher to tell you when to go to the bathroom, when to speak, when to express yourself, how to express yourself. And so you're putting, you're giving the power to them to say, they know better than me. They'll meet my needs. My parents know better than me. They'll meet my needs. You go to a job. My boss 
will be able to mm. tell me what what job description is the best for me. You look for politics or religion to continue to seek oh, this yeah. external validation that you really just missed in connecting to yourself. So now you're placing all of your needs and your wants and your desires and your aspirations into this person that you're just supposed to be in a relationship to love, but now you're relying on them to make you happy. Yes, we do that quite a lot as individuals and couples. It's like, mm-hmm. you are meant to make me happy. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we forget that like happiness has to come. Like you need to find your own happiness and bring that to the table. Don't wait for me to. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Great. Great. My next question is, and when relationship is lacking excitement, how do we find that moment back? Um, I mean, you said danger, excitement, and novelty, right? Like those are all under the umbrella of uncertainty, which is super sexy. And it's also scary. Mm. Right. Like, a good question in this in the moment where you get into a rut of I'm not excited anymore by my relationship. A good self reflect a self reflective question would be, how excited are you in your own life? Okay. How connected to your passion are you? Are you living your like? Are you on a mission? Are you are you feeling yourself? And if you can honestly answer those and be like, no, actually, I haven't been showing up for myself lately. Maybe I haven't been taking care of myself (laughs) and I just feel yucky. (laughs) That's going to be reflected into the relationship as stagnancy and monotony and not excited. So if you can introduce a new skill for yourself, a new part of your routine, a change of your wardrobe style, like these little things that you can do to feel better about yourself will help to bring a, then you're morphing into a different person that your partner then has to like Mm. try to meet. And oftentimes those changes create a little bit of conflict because with alchemy, like internal alchemy, it's a chemical change. You're physically changing, which causes a chemical reaction within you, which makes you feel different to your partner. And then they have to adjust. But the adjustment mm. is growth. What happens when you're adjusting and the other one is like not adjusting? That happens a lot. So again, understanding, communication, and having a mutual value in the relationship of growth. So lots of times there's people who enter relationships because they actually want to, they're like yeah. comfortable. You see this all the time. People are comfortable in relationships. They made it to marriage. Great. We said I do. And now we get to just exist. <laughs> and that's terrifying for me, honestly. I'm not married. <laughs> We're just existing now. Because the, yeah. I, the idea that I've been shown for so long, which I'm working in my own personal life to recreate, is that marriage was defined by the church. Mm. And it was created with this idea that it, it has to be this specific mold in order for it to be accepted by society. Mm. And, and and it's like, oh, marriage is, you made it. Yeah. And actually, in the spiritual side of things, marriage is where it just starts. Because now you have a container. You, in my, again, my personal life, like, Preparing for that union is me taking myself personally to a to the highest potential that I could take myself mm. to, to develop an understanding of myself so I'm ready to then expand into somebody else's world because I've taken myself to a ce- I hit a ceiling and I can't bring myself any further into expansion or uh, evolution mm. without having the dynamic and the challenges and the conflict of another person totally yeah and you 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 see that as well when you talk about excitement like at the start because everything is new everyone's excited Mm -hmm. and then after a period of time you go back to we say no more (laughs) there's nothing else is new so the excitement starts to die down because you're not bringing anything and if, and if you say no more, right, like if you're like, there's no more excitement here, then you're probably not asking enough questions or you're not asking yourself both. the questions. Oh, okay. 
you're you're not putting yourself in situations where you you're never going to you're never going to know the answers to the universe. So if you're not excited, you're just not asking big enough questions. Totally. Because if you ask a big question, you will start to find the answer. I promise you, you will start to be led towards the answer and it's going to break you open. That's the fear, isn't it? <laughs> That's the change in the fear. So it is, change is challenging because it's new and it's unknown and most people don't like the unknown. But my like spirit animal that I have above my desk and everything I do is this butterfly concept because we should, po- we should constantly be evolving. That's how you stay. That's how you stay thriving. Yeah. It's not how you're just existing. You're thriving. You go through this metamorphosis of death and rebirth every time you ask a new question and you find the answer because a part of you has to quote unquote die this ego death Mm. part of your ego has to die but it doesn't go easily it's hard oh yeah (laughs) it'll kick and scream it'll be like no stay here it's safe stay right here. yeah let's look at it next week (laughs) yeah and that's the little part of you like the little kid inside that still exists and and is trying to just keep you safe in the in knowing and telling you predicting the outcome and if you can't predict the outcome then there's not a there's is a chance you might not make it right mm. like that's what your little kid is selling yourself You're like if you make this decision i can't help you because i don't know what the outcome's going to be and that puts us in a scary place so don't do that oh yeah totally yeah yeah cuz in relationship you that's often spoken about where things were great and then it just kind of hit a stalemate, but no one's actually doing anything about it because we're not asking ourselves the right questions. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Brilliant. How do, my next question is how do women, sorry, how do men and women view intimacy? What's the differences? So, I mean, honestly, like I can only speak from my personal experience. I don't like to put, people in boxes of expectations. Like I'll never be a person that's like men need to do this. Women need to do this because I think that at the very core intimacy is just being understood is being seen and heard. It's this felt experience. It's this desire for connection that everyone has. Mm -hmm. So like at the very basics, we all want to feel safe. We all want to feel worthy and we all want to feel connected and loved. And under that, it's like if you can meet those needs in yourself and with your partner and really operate knowing those core wounds, then you develop understanding and understanding is a felt experience and it creates a desire for more connection, which is intimacy. Mm -hmm. And do you think that women are closer to, say, intimacy than men? I think um, women are more comfortable with their emotional experience or they spend more time in their emotional, in their emotions, whether or not they're good or, you know, dysregulated (laughs) Um, with their ability to process their emotions is a different story. Because if you have a woman who is very emotionally chaotic, it doesn't really invite a man to bring his emotions into the dynamic, because if he brings his emotions into an emotionally chaotic experience, who is keeping the dynamic safe? Mm. Nobody. Mm. So the job of a woman is to work with understanding and developing emotional intelligence to not shy away from experiencing them, but rather be able to self-regulate so that you can create a space and a container for, yes, I can have these emotions. Yes, my man will be there to support that, but I can also be a regulated space for him to then come into this dynamic and feel safe to take off armor and open up. Mm. And then once the woman is taking responsibility, you know, my emotional side, I need to be able to self-regulate. That's her responsibility. And the responsibility of the man is to know that great. If she's emotionally chaotic or having an emotional experience, I don't have to fix it. All I have to do is make her feel safe. Mm. I just have to be here to support it and not make her suppress the way she feels or make her feel crazy. I just sit there and I provide support. And the more that this people understand this dynamic, the more actually like 
you know, you're, you're saying though the men need to keep her safe. And I'm also saying women need to keep men safe. And I'm also saying men need to express their emotions. And I'm also saying women need to express their emotions. So there's no difference. Mm. It's just being comfortable and being able to self-regulate this emotional experience. Mm. Mm. What happens in the case where, so she wants the men to be more emotional and he becomes more emotional and now she's not able to contain both because now his emotions are kind of not taking over hers but they're becoming more important but she's not able to hold both of them is that a case where if you want someone to be emotional you have to be comfortable with your own yes okay yeah oh yes yeah yes it's I mean, it's all, it's all a projection, remember? So whatever she's experiencing when he does become more emotional, it's not that he's becoming more emotional and she doesn't like it. It's, oh my gosh, he's becoming more emotional, but I feel really terrified still of my emotional experience. That's right. So she's projecting her fear of emotions or emotional expression onto her partner who is now expressing their emotions. It's, ter- it's scary. Mm. Women, well... Generally, women do women. Well, from what I heard, is women like men who shows their emotion. <laughs> Again, that's very that is that's so, very um, yes subjective. It's very reliant on the person. Mm. I think people are craving for more connection, and they don't have the words to describe. Okay. So I, sitting with these things are so important. Like they don't have the words to understand what they're actually craving. So they're saying, I just want you to be more emotional. Well, if you tell somebody to be more emotional and all of a sudden they're so emotional, but you didn't add more context. Like I want to be able to have more vulnerable conversations with you so that you can let me know how you're feeling when it's happening instead of when it has gone too far. Mm -hmm. That's maybe what they mean. But if you don't give someone context and they give you what they think that you are asking for and it's not what you're actually intending to ask, mm. it's like, no, 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 I didn't want that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that. it's too like much. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. Yes. But taking personal responsibility of what you're seeing, what's being reflected and how to move forward is part of being in a conscious relationship. Mm. Yeah. Great, great. My next question is, what do we struggle with the most? Um, man, what a that's a that's a big question. It is. It <laughs> I, is. <laughs> what's our biggest struggle here on Earth? I yeah. think dysregulation, for sure. I think there's too many people who are dysregulated humans running around. Which, when you have dysregulation, dysregulation causes this like um, dissonance between people's energy. So it's like being in the middle of an ocean and there's a storm happening and all these waves are crashing into each other and it's so chaotic. That is what the world is feeling right now. Because if you're dysregulated and you go out into the world and you're angry and you don't know what's happening in your body and then Joe at work, he also doesn't know what's happening in his body. He absorbs your frequency and now he becomes angry and he's like, I don't even know why I'm angry. And then he goes home And then he's Mm. angry and his wife's angry and now his kids are angry. So you not being regulated, not saying this is you, but just giving you an example. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like people not being regulated or understanding their the function of their nervous system and their effect on others is just causing this chaotic storm amongst the world. And there's all this research that is that I mean. People don't. People aren't going to know about this because it's not a. It's not something that you can really capitalize on or create a pill for. <laughs> no, make a night about it. Yeah. <laughs> They've done lots of resources research on meditation and how when you can teach one person to self-regulate, it causes this ripple, and it can positively influence so many people around them. And when multiple people are meditating together, it creates this butterfly effect, and the ripple can be felt around the world. Mm. So the same principle applies for regulation versus dysregulation. And so the more I can teach people about how to regulate themselves, the more it's just 
building on this wave of regulation that hopefully will spread. Yeah, spread in your house. Yeah, start at home. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on this. How important is it when it comes to feeling safe with your partner? Like you, you, you have to be able to feel safe before you can communicate your guilt, for example. We use guilt. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's extremely important because it's the ba- most basic need on the hierarchy of needs, feeling safe. But again, always, <laughs> <laughs> you have to feel safe in yourself. And what does that look like? It's learning how to trust yourself. And what does that look like? It's how much do you, when you say you're going to do something for yourself, how often do you show up and do it? Mm. How much do you trust yourself to make a decision with confidence before second guessing yourself or overthinking? So those are self-reflective questions that let you know how safe you feel in your own body. Mm. So if I don't feel safe and I come to you, obviously I'm relying on how you feel but if i feel safe i'm not so much depending on you well if you if you don't feel safe and you come to talk to your partner about something you will be more emotionally triggered and you will project your oh, yeah. lack of trust in yourself onto that person and you'll say i won't tr- i don't trust you mm. but if you feel connected to your body and the sensations that you have in the presence of someone who's being honest you will feel a lot of physical confirmation because you trust yourself. Oh, I trust these sensations. It feels like this person is also telling me the truth because I'm centered in my own experience. I'm not chaotic seeking for safety. I'm like, mm. I don't trust myself. I'm seeking safety in you and you're not giving me the right answer. So now I don't trust you. Yeah. Then it's like, you're doing this to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, the fun questions is, fun ways to build intimacy. Well, I have, I know this. Tons of videos. I have, yes, tons (laughs) of videos. I'm always dancing because I do that, honestly, let you in on a little secret. No, no, very few people want to listen to me talk or listen to people talk on Instagram. They're there to be entertained, right? Like, if I can entertain them while I'm also sprinkling in a little bit of information that then leads to a bigger conversation, awesome. That's me rippling out a fun vibe towards things that are scary to talk about or things that are vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, So lots of intimacy prompts on there, lots of exercises. I'm also hosting a free workshop on the 6th of February, which will then be posted on YouTube. So even after you are listening to this after February 6th, um, you can get on those, uh, the videos, but it's, we're going to be learning from a massage therapist who's going to teach some massage techniques to use with your partner. Um, we're going to be working with a wardrobe consultant on how to dress for date night. And more specifically, like if you're nervous about date night, there are colors that you can choose that help you to feel calm in yourself that will support you subconsciously in the date night. And then the, mm, it, that, that's a, thought about that. a mind blowing. <laughs> yes. She's amazing. She's super great at helping you to like curate your wardrobe for it to support your confidence in the world at a very authentic level. Like she's not going to force you to dress in a specific way that you don't want to dress. It's all curated based on the tones of your skin and your eyes and uh, tranquil colors. So it's like optimizing your confidence through wardrobe. And then on the third day, I'm going to be talking about like intimacy positions, toys, gifts, gift ideas, and date night ideas that you can use when building intimacy. So it's like a week of a couple of days of love next week, but those mm. videos will all be on my YouTube. And so, yeah. Yeah, no, they are quite informative and entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. It's like, what is she doing? Um, Okay, some tips on how to bring up this conversation with your partner. So, you know, first and foremost, understanding that it starts with you. So just 
bringing awareness to your emotional state and knowing that it's not a bad thing, reframing your relationship to intimacy or to your emotions, um, hiring somebody. I know this is not always accessible to people, which this is why I create a lot of free content, but really truly like making the jump to hire someone that you know Mm. can help to explore this. I've hired lots of coaches, mentors, and I will continue to, even as I progress, like you hiring somebody to reflect back to you things that you can't see is super important in a safe way too. They're not going to yell at you or call you bad or whatever. (laughs) They're going to be very supportive of this process and help you through your um, experience. Join a community of people who are having conversations like this, attend a retreat, like pushing your Finding where your edge is at, you'll know where your edge is at. You'd be like, ooh, that feels scary. (laughs) But getting close to the edge and being like, I'm just going to look at the edge. What does the edge feel like? What is it giving? Where is the, what is the information it's giving me? And just getting comfortable being by your edge instead of seeing it as something that's going to hurt you, get close to it, make friends with it because eventually you'll see it's not that scary. And then you can start to push it a little bit. Mm. And then you adjust. And then you're like, oh, this wasn't so bad. I'm going to push it a little bit. And that's how you expand in a way that feels comfortable for your nervous system. Because if you try to say, tomorrow I'm going to tell every single person how I feel about them in the moment that I feel it, it will blow your mind and your circuitry and (laughs) you'll feel very dysregulated. So if you can move at a pace that's slow and feels comforting for yourself, that is highly recommended by me. (laughs) Mm, there's another thing you mentioned there um, about, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So you covered it, yeah. So I have two more questions for you. Yes. Yeah, I think we touched on this already. Some tips on how to build emotional intimacy in a relationship. Um, yes. Yeah, so I also have like a couple of guides available. I have a steamy text guide, which is it has a hundred prompts in there. So there's like a hundred, <laughs> yeah, a hundred prompts. And it starts with like very sweet. So things you can text your partner that are sweet and thoughtful, and then it gets to flirty and then it gets to spicy. And then there's this whole section of like actually deeper, deeper conversation prompts that you can bring up. Like, Hey, when you're overwhelmed, when you're feeling chaotic, what is one thing that I can do to support you in that state? So framing it in that way is like Mm. super soothing and inviting of conversations. So it's just the way that you phrase things um, can make or break the conversation. Oh, yes. I have a date night guide. It has a bunch of different date nights based on your love language. So whatever dominant love language you have, there's dates specifically designed for those. I also have a six-week course that teaches like so much of – what we've talked about today in a way that's self-paced. You can do it by yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, self-paced. It has lots of exercises to do. And so whether or not you're in a relationship, but you're seeking a relationship, like you want one in the future, you have the capacity to learn a curriculum that's going to prepare you so that 10 years down the line, you're not being like, I have intimacy <laughs> Yeah. It's before you even start the relationship, you feel comfortable building intimacy. So you're learning skills and tools and knowledge to be able to build that from hello. Mm, yeah. Don't wait until it's like, Oh my God, what's this intimacy stuff about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Starting, starting with hello, feeling like I know, Hey, I learned about body language and the importance of tone of voice and how much that affects my ability to connect with someone. So you're like ahead of the curve with the knowledge you learn. Mm. Yes. Yes. And my last question is, Mm. I have a lot of desire, but also have a lot of shame around it. I'm just using me as an example. Mm. (laughs) I have a lot of desire and I also have a lot of shame around it. So how can I work with that? Well, um, asking yourself if I could, when did I learn about shame? And shame is something that is not only present in your lifetime. It's a, it's a belief, a societally and globally formed belief around sex and intimacy and desire that was carried through your genetics. 
Mm. We like 2000 years ago, we, the church decided that sex was only okay to explore within the container of a, of a marriage. And there's truth to that. But if you're teaching people growing up, there's, there's some truths, right? Like there's some pieces that I can be like, okay, but the principle that they, they went about teaching people around sex is deeply ingrained in their nervous system. If you teach little kids, it's not okay to explore sex and intimacy until you've reached a connection with somebody that is forever and eternal. Mm. You're still influencing their nervous system even after they say I do and they feel like it's okay to explore sex. You've just deeply ingrained a belief into people that sex, intimacy, connection is shameful. Mm. Desire is shameful. Yeah, it was not your intention, right? Like it wasn't their intention to F up everybody's relationship to self-exploration and self-intimacy, but that happened because they probably didn't understand the nervous system. Mm. So you might have a desire and you're in a relationship, but you have a lot of shame that came from somewhere else. (laughs) So you you, you struggle with that and you start thinking it's, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, and it's like even even bringing up maybe a potential for a kink or like a sexual preference or a fantasy that you have. If those conversations were not had growing up, oh yeah, if you weren't safe to explore these things with your parents, or you have so much you you described, you know, like your you said kind of your relationship with feeling shame around even talking about female sexuality. Oh yeah, yeah, is not okay. <laughs> Yeah. So you still carry this little boy in you who, if you asked yourself, like, how old is this little boy who's talking about the shame I feel about talking about a woman's body? He's probably like six to eight years old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like this little boy that's still, he's driving your behavior because he remembers when I asked a question about boobs when I was eight and my grandma spanked me or somebody's, you know. Yeah. Then you remember that and you're like, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even bring up this image in my mind because I'm terrified someone's going to tell me I'm bad and that I'm not going to be loved. Mm, Totally. Yeah. Shame. Yeah. Shame and intimacy. (laughs) Shame and intimacy. So when you do feel that ping of shame, it's a good time to reflect inward and ask yourself, Hey, what's, what am I feeling right now? What, what mm-hmm. am I telling myself about this situation? And you just, that's like the introduction of developing intimacy with yourself is instead of asking outwardly, is this okay? You turn inwardly, hey, is this okay? Is this okay for us? Do we feel like this is something I'm excited to explore, but I'm a little nervous? Mm. So you're just, you're having this, you're having a dialogue with that eight-year-old self. Mm, totally, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. This was a fun, t- this thank was a fun you. conversation. I love what you're doing. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I love your, I love your videos. Thank you. They're always very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is this girl doing at home? Uh, so my two <laughs> questions, which is not relation to intimacy. If you're attending therapy, what would your idea therapist be like? If I was attending therapy? Yeah. It would be like who would be not you can't say that <laughs> it would be someone who makes things fun and mm. is like you know like doesn't make me feel shameful or doesn't hesitate when i ask or say the word boob right like if i'm gonna say something <laughs> and they there's a hesitation i'm gonna immediately feel something yeah. Not, I mean, that's an extreme example, but like there's a vibe, yeah. right? Like if I'm going to bring up something that's vulnerable or hard for me to talk about, I want the person to add humor or joy or it to feel very flowing and ease. That's just me. Um, mm. That Yeah, that's just kind of my vibe. So yeah, make it fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, my last question is, we'll say, oh, sorry. Yeah, so my last question is, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? I love to travel, and I love to – I have a white, fluffy golden retriever, and I love taking him downtown and 
going to try new food places. I love to dance. Costumes. Costumes, <laughs> yep. I like to have fun. I like to feel expansive. That's what I like to do for fun. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it. If you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page, Don't Be Afraid to Talk, or DM me on Instagram. The show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode. If you haven't already, please download, leave a rating, and share with your friends. You might just reach the person who needs to hear this message. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I am James Lumumba, signing off with gratitude.